This is a hypothetically great podcast. This is Tech News for MBAs. I'm Professor Paul Canetti. It is Friday, November 12th, 2021. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite companies and my favorite products, Twitter. What's interesting is that when I poll my classroom each semester and I ask how many of these graduate students use Twitter on a regular basis, only a couple of hands go up reliably in a classroom of anywhere between 70, 80 to uh, the biggest class I ever taught was 120 students. You still only see two, three, maybe four hands shoot up to say, yes, I use Twitter. When I ask about Instagram, much higher. TikTok, much higher. And I think this is a common narrative about Twitter that it's kind of stalled out on users and there's some sort of high barrier to entry where people just sort of can't get into it. But uh, I use it every day, a gazillion times a day, way too many times. I'm very much in the Twitterverse and I think a lot of people in tech are. It's where a lot of the chatter is happening, but also a lot of the echo chamber. Anyway, before that, we've got a couple of headlines in the AR and metaverse space, which you know I just love. Before we get into that, I just want to touch on something that I mentioned last week, which is that I have started a weekly free newsletter, weekly-ish, let's call it. Uh, it's not a regular sort of publication schedule, the way this podcast goes out every Friday, um, but I'm writing at least once a week, uh, sometimes more, just whenever the mood strikes. And you can sign up for that if you're interested at hypotheticallygreat.com. You'll see a button there, sign up for the free newsletter, something like that. Uh, Hypothetically Great is now my new blog and I guess what you would call my new media brand. Uh, This podcast is under the Hypothetically Great umbrella. I'm planning other projects that uh, will also take the Hypothetically Great name. This is a Hypothetically Great podcast and now I have a Hypothetically Great newsletter. I'll be writing there about some of the topics we talk about in the show, but also a bunch of stuff that we won't cover here because it's not necessarily tech news. The other thing I'm starting to do is sending out a written transcription of every episode of this podcast to the mailing list as well, in case some weeks you feel like reading it instead of listening to it. All right, so let's get into this week's headlines. Microsoft has announced its plans for the enterprise metaverse. Metaverse is the word on the tips of everyone's tongues, and Microsoft has announced that through Microsoft Teams, they see an ability to create a metaverse where people can work with one another. Not dissimilar from Mark Zuckerberg's presentation a couple of weeks ago when they changed their name to Meta, But Microsoft has a bit of an edge here because they already have a ton of enterprise users. Companies are using Microsoft Teams already and now adding things like 3D avatars and 3D offices and virtual spaces uh, where you can sort of work in that virtual office with your coworkers. You're already maybe using Teams for other things, whereas Facebook's foray into the enterprise and their work-related products really have yet to take off in a major way. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Slack, uh, which is Microsoft Teams' biggest competitor, 
uh, Slack is now owned by Salesforce, you know, coming up with a similar strategy here. But I can't help but wonder if some of these plans were already in the works, but now everyone is sort of changing the name of it to Metaverse. Uh, and it does seem like Metaverse is sticking around, at least for the time being. Niantic, the company behind games like Pokemon Go, has released its own vision for the Metaverse and released their Lightship AR development kit. Niantic is an interesting company, even though most of us, you know, sort of had that great summer where we played Pokemon Go and then sort of forgot about it. Uh, they've been shipping away at AR and creating amazing AR games and experiences. And now they've laid out their own vision for the Metaverse, uh, which really is about AR as opposed to VR. The main difference here is that they imagine overlaying digital experiences on top of the real world. This happens to be the version of the Metaverse that I subscribe to as well. I don't think it's either or. I think you have different uh, use cases uh, throughout your day. But what they've done is they've opened up the tools that they use internally to create these amazing AR experiences to third-party developers, which means that all sorts of different developers can use their tools and build on all of the proprietary work that they've already done. With AR in particular, you have to be able to map the physical space and understand it using AI and computer vision and sensors and all sorts of interesting technology and then overlaying your digital assets on top of that real world to integrate all that into a singular reality that is really a blend of the physical and the digital. You probably thought that two metaverse-related headlines was enough for one week, but no. NVIDIA also announced their plans for the metaverse, and Qualcomm launched a new developer kit for augmented reality as well. I'm not even going to go into both of these in more detail. Uh, there's just too much to talk about. But here we have four different companies laying out their grand vision right on the heels of Meta, formerly Facebook, laying out their vision. And we yet to have sort of these big announcements from Google, Apple, maybe even, again, players like Salesforce or Netflix or companies like Magic Leap that are new entrants into the space, there is a frenzy right now. And what they're really fighting for is the attention of the developer community because whichever platform developers take to, that's where the rich experiences are going to be. And there's a bit of chicken or egg problem whenever you have a new platform like this. Consumers want apps to use so that there's actually like a purpose to a new device or a new platform. Uh, developers want to go where the audience is because that's where they're going to make money. And so which do you do first? How do you seed a two-sided marketplace, essentially? And um, what we're seeing here is a real appeal to the developer communities. Come build for us because this is our grand vision and this is why ultimately your investment in our vision will pay off once the masses flood in. All right, let's switch gears and get in to our main headline and main theme of the week, which is Twitter. Twitter has released a new paid subscription product called Twitter Blue, the first of its kind. 
I know we've talked a bit about Web3, which is the new idea of the internet built around crypto. And Twitter is very much one of the OG Web2 companies. Web2 is largely built around large-scale, free-to-consumer products that are monetized through advertising. And so Twitter traditionally, like its peers, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, etc., Google, for that matter, you, the consumer, get to use it for free, and Twitter sells access to that audience, to you, to its advertising partners. And as consumers, we're totally accustomed to this model. And it's not dissimilar from, you know, media before it, like TV or radio or newspaper ads. Meanwhile, as these social media companies became more and more popular and that model became really ingrained, another trend started happening in different sorts of businesses, which is SaaS, software as a service models where you pay a monthly or annual fee in order to gain access to a piece of software. And this model really describes everything from something like Netflix to Slack, where you are paying per month to gain access to that software and you are directly monetizing for that company. Slack makes money because I'm paying them to use it. There is no third party in this triangle. It's just a direct relationship between me and them. Twitter Blue, the new product from Twitter, which was announced and released just two days ago this week, is the first time that a major social network is attempting to bring that type of business model into the mix. Now, interestingly, this is not instead of advertising. So it's not today you're using Twitter for free and you're seeing ads and now you subscribe to Twitter Blue and you don't see those ads. No, no, no. What they're attempting to do is to double dip where they are still serving you ads and getting that revenue from advertisers, but they're offering special unique features that are only available to subscribers of Twitter Blue that allows them to have both the SaaS model and the advertising model. So they're not swapping out one source of revenue for another, but instead they are attempting to increase their revenue per user. So what is Twitter Blue? Twitter Blue costs $2.99 per month. And what you get is a variety of features, perhaps the most long-awaited feature for Twitter users was the ability to edit a tweet after you had posted it. So right now, if you have a typo or something in your tweet, you can't edit it. The only choice would be to delete it and then tweet it again. But now what they've introduced is something called undo tweet. And so as you compose a new tweet and you say, great, send this to the Twitterverse, publish it, it delays it by a certain number of seconds. 20 seconds is the default value there. And during that 20-second period, you can decide to undo or to go ahead and send it. And so it basically allows you to proofread your own tweet 
before it posts it. So it's not exactly what Twitter users were asking for, but I think it achieves the same goal. It allows you to sort of catch those mistakes on the way out the door. That alone is a feature that, again, within the Twitter community is so often requested and talked about. And from a technical perspective, it's not a difficult feature for them to have built. But what they did was they waited years and years and years, even though the demand was there, and then decided to lock it behind this paywall where you can only have that feature if you pay. Now, that's just one of the benefits of Twitter Blue. You can also read Twitter threads, uh, which is multiple tweets that are sort of strung together in a new view that essentially makes it look almost more like an article or a blog post. They also uh, leveraging their acquisition of the startup Scroll. You can see certain news articles that load in like the web view within Twitter uh, without ads. So it hides the ads on the news websites and actually uses part of your Twitter Blue subscription money to pay those news publications, which is kind of interesting, and a bunch of other little features as well. Uh, you can customize the color or the icon on your home screen, sort of frivolous features, but you get this feeling like, okay, I'm getting a bunch of stuff for this $2.99. So let's take a quick look at some of Twitter's numbers here. In Q3 of this year, they reported that they had 211 million daily active users. So these are people that are using the platform each and every day. That was up only 3% quarter over quarter from Q2. That was up only 3% from Q1. That was up only 3% from Q4 of 2020. So you get the idea. Their user growth is really just crawling along here. They don't have a lot of new users coming into the fold. That being said, their revenue is increasing at a faster rate than their user growth, which means they are effectively monetizing each user on average at a faster and faster clip. So even though the new users are sort of just trickling in, uh, they're growing revenue at a steeper curve. And I think the idea here is if they can't jumpstart user growth, well, how do they continue to fuel? revenue growth. So of that 200 some odd million daily active users, what percentage of those are going to use Twitter blue? Let's just throw out a random number and say that 10% of that 211 million users are going to use Twitter blue. And I think that's probably quite high. Let's round off and say 20 million people are going to subscribe to Twitter Blue in the near future. So 20 million times $3 a month. So now that's 60 million a month. So that's $720 million per year in theoretically new Twitter Blue subscription revenue from an existing base of users. Twitter's annual revenue last year was $3.7 billion. If you take their quarterly revenue from Q3 and extrapolate it forward, that's looking more like $5 billion on an annual basis. So let's just use round numbers and say $5 billion. Here we have $720 million. So $720 over $5 billion. Well, that would be a 14% increase. 
Twitter's year-over-year revenue growth, if you average the last four quarters, is a little north of 40% growth. And that was without Twitter Blue. So all of a sudden, now you're going from 40, it's really like 42, plus 14, you know, that's like 56% year-over-year revenue growth. And that's without needing to acquire any more new users than they were before. Now, are they really going to get 10% conversion? I have no idea. But it changes the game a bit, where increasingly it's about mining their existing user base for potential converts. And if they can just chip away at that 200 million and just get a little more, a little more every quarter, every month to subscribe to Twitter Blue, to continue to iterate on the product and find new value for different types of users to sort of unlock new value with those subscription purchases, maybe there are different tiers of service. So it's starting at $2.99, but maybe there's a $4.99 plan. Maybe there's a $9.99 plan. To me, it demonstrates a willingness and an adventurousness uh, on the part of Twitter to pursue these new sorts of monetization strategies that are not just about plastering more and more ads in front of their users, but finding ways to provide value and create different sorts of monetization in different ways. Uh, Twitter's been doing a great job with this. They made some other acquisitions like Review, a newsletter service. You can imagine a paid newsletter, and now Twitter's taking a little percentage of that. They've added tipping, so you can give money to creators that you really like. Maybe they start to take a piece of that, and so on and so forth, sort of realizing that vertical user growth is not going to be the strategy here, and it's really about providing more and more value and extracting more value from different sources. And users that use Twitter and love Twitter might just be willing to pay. Uh, I don't even know if Twitter is going to break out the blue subscription numbers in their earnings report, so we might not have a full view into what's happening there. Um, but if we see the revenue growth sort of increasing and there's no other logical explanation, I think we'll start to see, okay, there really was some pent up demand here. And that's my guess for this first quarter. There's a bunch of people that are going to sort of jump on the Twitter blue train initially, and then it's going to really slow down. All that pent up demand will have been met almost immediately. And then the question is, how do they convince that second tier, third tier of people to eventually convert to Twitter Blue over time. If you don't use Twitter, now might be a great time to start. Uh, again, if you're interested in the world of tech, that's sort of where it's all happening, for better or worse. And personally, I happily threw down my $2.99 for my Twitter Blue subscription. And the truth is, I don't even need any of these features. It's just I'm happy to support this company because I really believe they bring me value. And that is another route here, but just, hey, want this to exist? Pay for it. And again, as a consumer, that's a model that now I'm quite accustomed to. Okay, that's the drill for this week. I'm Professor Paul Canetti. I will see you next week for another episode of Tech News for MBAs. <laughs>